At the bottom of, of Mather Pass, I got to the valley and I started counting up my food. At this point, again, I'm only resupplying. I'm only resupplying one time in 14 days, which sounds crazy. And it was crazy. I would never do it again. And it all has to be in a bear canister. So at this point, I'm looking at my food and I'm getting quite low of food. <laughs> Because now I'm starting to make up the calories that I wasn't eating when I was altitude sick. So I'm starting to really, I mean, now I'm eating extra snacks for dinner because I'm still hungry after my my dinner and, you know, just the whole thing. And so I'm starting to get a little bit concerned and I don't have a resupply for another about three days. So I'm like, okay, I got to stretch this. I, and it's about 60 miles or so to VBR where Vermilion Valley Resort where I'm going to resupply. So today I'm going to be going over the truth of the John Muir Trail. So this is going to cover everything. So I, if you haven't seen it, I have a documentary of the JMT on my YouTube. But this little live is going to go through everything that is kind of filling in the cracks with that. Because as with anybody, everybody knows, you can you only see so much in a documentary. So this is going to fill in a lot of those gaps, a lot of those obstacles that I encountered on the trail, my frame of mind at certain different points, and then a significant event that actually ended up happening to me on the way back from this journey. This is going to be meant to be a walkthrough guide for someone that wants to hike the John Muir Trail in the future. So like either you're going to hike it or you're about to plan for it, or you're actually on the hike doing it as well. I think that would be pretty helpful. So this will go up on my peanut butter and mountains podcast after I am done. So let's jump in. I'm going to be answering questions kind of in the middle of this story. It's going to be, I think it's going to be kind of a long story. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So the John Amir trail. So let's start off here. Now, anybody that wants to eventually hike the John Muir Trail, number one, I would 110% support you doing that. It is, it was the trail that absolutely ended up changing my life and was a lot more difficult than I, than I thought it was going to be, to be completely honest with you. A lot more difficult. There, the logistics to it are a little bit complicated. The way I went was the northbound route. So the northbound route actually is 240 miles. Traditionally, the John Muir Trail is around 212 miles or somewhere around there. And the northbound route adds on mileage, about 30 miles, as well as you hit your you hit the elevation a lot sooner than you would if you were on the southbound route, which is typically out of Yosemite. The pros to a northbound route, though, is that permits are super easy to get compared to going southbound from Yosemite and the fact that, well, that's about that's about the only thing, really. <laughs> the, the, I guess the other thing is that you get your passes done quickly because the name of the game on the John Muir Trail is to clear mountain passes before about 1 p.m. Because as you'll see in my story Storms basically come up all the time in the afternoon, especially in the Sierra. At least it did for me. And and that's just when you want to be off of those mountain passes. Now, one of the things with the John Muir Trail, and I totally just, oh yeah, that was the other thing with the with being in the northbound route, is a con to it is that you are not going to, the con to it is that you are not going to be able to acclimatize properly. In other words, you are starting off at about 11,000 feet. And then your, basically your next goal is to summit Mount Whitney at 
14,500 some feet, which is the low, which is the highest mountain in the lower continental 48. So you are going to get swallowed with, you did get me all sidetracked, Tyler. <laughs> you are going to get swallowed with altitude sickness right away, especially if you're, if you're from the Valley, like I was. So here's kind of how this, this all worked out for me. So I flew into Reno. I'm not going to really go over all of that, but I took a bus into Lone Pine, California. This is outside of the Sierra on the east side. Now, in I stayed at this really rinky-dink motel called the Dow Villa. Rinky-dink. Old West. It was pretty cool, though. The next day, I got a shuttle out to go to the starting place of the northbound route of the John Muir Trail, which is at Horseshoe Meadows. That's what it's called. Now... I remember waiting for this and it was extremely hot down there in Lone Pine. I actually went to wait for my shuttle and it was about a hundred degrees already in the morning. And I actually went back to the hotel to wait a little bit longer because of the fact that it was just extremely hot. And I then caught a shuttle up to Horseshoe Meadows. Now I would say this is one of the most sketchy parts of the entire trip was this shuttle up to Horseshoe Meadows. And the reason was, is because the road was extreme, like you're on a cliff basically the entire time. So when you catch the shuttle and you go up to Horseshoe Meadows, it is a sheer drop off. I mean, to the bottom of the valley, if the dude screws up on the shuttle, like don't even worry about having to hike 14 days, three weeks or whatever. You don't have to worry about it because it's over. Anyway, I survived, obviously. And so I got up to Horseshoe Meadows and... It was in the afternoon and my permit was for the day after. And so basically what that meant is that I just had to basically sit around and camp and not do anything. And which was, you know, if you know me, that's, that's extremely kind of hard to do. As I'm sitting around in camp, I meet these people and this dude is making, he, he's making his dinner <laughs> and he fashioned, he, he was really, <laughs> he was a good guy. And he thought he was real like smart. And he was actually using this windscreen by his like jet boil to block the wind because it was quite windy up there. And I'm watching him do this. I'm watching him do this. And I walk away and all of a sudden, boom, his gas can explodes, literally explodes right in front of him because the heat was reflecting off of that windscreen going back into the little gas canister and actually ended up heating it up so much that it actually ended up exploding. So that was kind of like a welcome to the trail for me. And as I saw that, I remember thinking these guys aren't going to last that long on the trail and come to find out they did actually end up ditching out within about three to four days, which is a very common theme that you're going to find out on this in this story is that I thought that this trail, I don't know whatever, for whatever reason, I thought this trail was like beginner friendly. Not sure why I thought that, but there was plenty of people that ended up quitting and I'll kind of go over why in, in, in a bit here. So I wake up the next day and my goal is to go at least 15 miles and I start walking up horse or cottonwood pass, which is the first pass basically of the, of the, of the trip. This is at about 11,000 feet. And as I got up to there in the middle of the morning, I thought to myself, wow, this is, this is pretty tough. You gotta, you gotta understand. I was carrying eight and a half days of food. I only resupplied one time on this entire thing, one time. And so my so my uh, my pack was extremely heavy. It was about, I think, 40, 45 pounds, something like that. 
that's another thing that that is really tough about the Nobo route is that resupply options are extremely limited on this. Unless you want to pay a horse packer in, you can do that, but it costs a lot of money. And that could be in the middle of the trail. Or you can get off trail in the middle of it at Kearsarge Pass and then go resupply and then come back out. Although that adds another extra day onto your trip. So it really kind of nulls the whole fact. Anyway, so I'm carrying a lot of food. That's the point. And I get up to the top and I think, dang. And I recorded this in the documentary. I was like, dang, this is actually quite tough. This is going to be harder than I thought. But, you know, that's something I need. So I go on with my day. I keep going. And I don't see anybody. Now, you got to think, this was in 2020. This was COVID. This is when... This was July 2020, so this is kind of still in the heart of COVID. There was nobody on trail. I, I didn't even know if I was going to be able to get, catch a flight there. There was nobody on trail. Usually the JMT is a, a thoroughfare. There was nobody on there. So finally, halfway through the day, I actually end up meeting my first person ever. And it turns out that it's this blogger named Halfway Anywhere that's very popular in the thru-hiker community that I literally read his blog before I came out there to go and and see what I should be bringing for gear. His, his blog goes over a lot of really good gear choices and things. And I was like, what are the chances that's the first guy I see on this entire trail? Really crazy. Anyway, so he had to turn back because he had a family emergency, whatever. And so I keep going and I start developing this, this little headache. If anybody's ever been at altitude, you know what this little headache means. I, I had been at altitude before, but I kind of was not not paying it much attention. I thought I just was kind of dehydrated. So I kept moving on. And as I was going kind of through this valley, I met up with this guy that was coming the opposite or that was going my way as well. His name was Shroomer, who's actually a very famous through hiker as well. And he was actually the first person to show me the wild onions all along the John Muir trail. So when you're doing the John Muir trail, you have to find these wild onions because they are everywhere. They were around I think they were usually below like 11,000 to 9,000 feet around into that area. Absolutely amazing. They would be, you would find them all the time, everywhere, every single day, whenever you were in a valley. And I would just chop them up, put them in my, put them in my tortilla and all that stuff. So he was the one that actually finally showed me what those look like. Cause I knew about them coming in, but I didn't know exactly what, what they look like. You're always kind of wigged out with, with wild stuff like that. So I continue on my journey. And at this point, my headache's getting worse. I'm getting nauseous. But I think I'm at the 15th mile, and it's only 3 o'clock p.m. And I think, you know what? I'm going to push it five more miles. Why not? I'm going to get make it to Crabtree Meadows. I'm going to set up for Whitney, Mount Whitney in the morning, which actually kind of turned out to be a bad choice because as I rolled into Crabtree Meadows, I was a zombie. I was an absolute zombie. From doing 20 miles on my first day on the JMT at 11,000, 12,000 feet, carrying eight and a half days of food... <laughs> I was wrecked, absolutely wrecked. I ate about three bites of my entire dinner that night and went into my tent and just terrible headache, felt absolutely like garbage. The next night, the next day I wake up and I th I feel 100% better. 100, 100%, it's like the day before it didn't even happen, which is a good tip for people that have altitude sickness. Sometimes you just need a little bit of rest. But sometimes you also need to go down an elevation too. So don't let don't let me fool you on that one. But sometimes you do just need a little bit of rest. So I wake up in the morning and my goal for that day was to go, go and summit Mount Whitney. Mount Whitney is, again, the largest mountain in the lower 48, the tallest mountain in the lower 48. So no small task. And so I left basically a lot of my stuff, a lot of my gear at Crabtree Meadows. And I started making my way up to Mount Whitney. And so I start going up and I, I had met this guy before 
a little bit earlier the the day prior. His name was Landlord. That was his his name on the PCT. So he was doing the PCT. He was pretty late. But we kind of start hiking up there together. And you get to this point on Mount Whitney where it's called Trail Crest, I believe it's called. It's basically where everybody puts their bags and they kind of make this final 1.9 miles to the top of Mount Whitney. So I'm thinking, oh, it's only 1.9 miles. I'm only going to bring a half liter of water and I'm going to send it. I start making my way up to Mount Whitney. And again, I'm feeling more and more altitude sick every single step that I get up to. And I reached the summit and I I actually had called my mom and she actually had called my ex-girlfriend. She was my girlfriend at the time. And yes, it is the longest 1.9 miles ever. I called my ex, my girlfriend at the time, and she thought I was drunk. I mean, that's how out of it. I just was so out of it. <laughs> so I end up summoning, and I start coming down, and clouds are building up, which we were there pretty late. So again, that was kind of the theme of this entire trail is you're trying to beat storms. And so we had to get down low. And I remember landlord looking at me and saying that I just, I look like garbage. And so I, so we get down into camp and it's about 5 15 PM. I just, I literally lay in my tent from 5 15 PM until the next morning. And while I'm laying in my tent, that was when I seriously had to contemplate. I was like, I, I could quit right now. To- I could totally quit right now. I see why people quit this trail, but I, it, but I said to myself, but you know, one of the things I was thinking was, Oh, I posted this all on the internet. What are people going to say? It's all, it's, it's how your mind gets when you're in some of those very stressful situations. My mind was going haywire. And on top of that, I was nauseous. I couldn't eat my food and I had a headache. And so I thought to myself, okay, but if I can just get through this feeling, this shitty feeling that I'm, that I'm experiencing right now and that I have been experiencing for 48 hours, I, I can complete this trail. I laid in my tent from 5.15 until the next day. The next day I wake up, feel a little bit better again. My next task was to summit and get over Forrester Pass. And Forrester Pass is the, the highest pass on the PCT. A lot of the PCT and the John Muir Trail actually share the trail with each other. So a lot of, it's basically the same thing for most of the JMT is actually on the PCT, except for some of the end parts and not in Whitney. And so... I start making my way towards Forester Pass. You can see it in the distance there. It's it's this little notch, this little notch of snow almost in the mountainside. And I was like, dang, that looks pretty intimidating. Because I remember talking to a woman before going out there, and she had done it about a couple weeks prior to when I went. And she actually, she made it through that little notch, but she said it was terrifying. She said that the, the snow was absolutely terrifying to try to get over. So I was, I was really thinking, okay, what am I going to do if that's, that's the thing? And sorry, kind of tired. <laughs> so I start going up there. I'm, I'm making this approach up to Forrester Pass. And ultimately I decide to lay up pretty early before the pass because there was, again, clouds were moving in. It was getting a little bit later in the afternoon. And I thought I would just, I would hit the summit in the morning so I don't get caught into a storm or, or anything, which ended up to be a good choice. So I'm sitting in this Again, I'm doing this entire trail solo. I don't don't know if I mentioned that before, but I'm doing this entire trail just by myself during COVID where there's basically nobody on this trail. (laughs) And I'm laying in this barren, rocky, flat expanse and and Forester Pass is just looming right in front of me. And these clouds are just building. 
And so I start putting my rainfly on because I'm thinking, oh, okay, something might hit. And bam, I got hit with just winds, sleet. And again, I'm in the open. Thankfully, there was no thunder or anything because I just had no, there was nowhere to go in this entire little expansive plane. If you, when you hike the JMT, you, you'll realize most of the JMT is above 11,000 feet and there's not a lot of stuff above 11,000 feet. And so I just sat in my tent, was just getting walled by this storm, just bam, bam, bam. And you see it in the, in the documentary video, which is linked in my YouTube and my, my YouTube live, if you want to see it, but you just see it, bam, bam, bam. It's just hidden, right? So anyway, end up that ends up passing. I go to sleep and I wake up the next morning. So now I, I have this approach up to Forrester Pass. By this time, it's about day four right now. And I now I'm getting acclimated. I'm, I'm starting to roll a little bit better. Starting to get acclimated a little bit more. What's up, Josh? Starting to get acclimated a little bit more. And, and things are going a little bit better. So I get up and I summit Forrester Pass. And that was a pretty big deal on this trail. There's a, there's a sweet little sign next to it. And it's a great view up there. I, I was I was pretty freaking stoked. At, on my descent down Forrester Pass, though, I started to really and, and anybody that's done solo things before you you start getting this interesting, weird. Well, you can go down. Let, let me let me rephrase that. When you are solo, if you go down a trail of thoughts, and if you aren't careful, those trail of thoughts can keep going and keep going. It's a rabbit trail that you keep following. And I started going down this real lonely rabbit trail because, again, I haven't been seeing anybody on this trail. I'm not hiking with anybody. I don't see anybody coming the opposite way. I literally am feeling like I'm the only person on this entire trail. And so I'm I'm going and I keep walking and I fill up some water at the stream, I remember. And I keep going. And then all of a sudden I reach for my sunglasses, can't find my sunglasses. Again, if you're at that high of elevation and the sun is beating down on you, you need sunglasses. And so I freak out. I'm like, dude, where, where could they be? Blah, blah, blah. I literally drop my pack and I sprint back to where I just filled up my water. And lo and behold, they were sitting right there by the onions that I had just picked. So thankfully I was able to recover them. So I keep going that day and the next pass, I did two passes that day. So the next one was Glen pass. And so Again, there was another storm coming and I remember going up into Glen Pass and there's this dude. <laughs> I don't know how in the hell he made it up there. There's this dude there and he's smoking a cigarette and I mean, he looks like <laughs> he, I, I don't know. He looks like I just, like he just came from the street. I don't know where he came from. And he's like, yeah, I'm hiking the JMT. I'm like, wow, that is crazy, man. <laughs> He didn't seem very concerned at all with this, with the storm coming. I'm like, I'm going to summit this and get off. And he's just smoking his dart, just watching the lightning and things. And I'm like, okay, whatever, dude. I was like, I will never see that guy again. No way that he'll ever catch up to me. So I get up and over Glen Pass. And again, that loneliness feeling is starting to pervade my thoughts again. And I was about to set up by this place called Ray Lakes, which is, again, a very popular back country destination. There's nobody there. There's nobody there and end up to be where these two people pass me and they're actually also doing the JMT. And I end up seeing them and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to camp with some people tonight. And so I literally just like <laughs> follow them. I'm like, guys, can I just camp with you tonight? Like I've been solo for the last four days. Like I haven't seen anybody. I haven't camped with anybody, blah, blah, blah. They're like, oh yeah, sure. And so I end up talking with them and actually they had a very interesting story, which was 
<laughs> they had a very interesting story, which was the fact that they they had done a Nobel route too, and actually two of their people in their crew had to get off at Kearsarge Pass because they were having such bad altitude sickness, just like to the point where they thought they were going to like literally die. So it was just this girl and her friend's dad were now going on the John Muir trail, which was hilarious. Anyway, I camped with them. That was the first time I actually had a lake jump in, which was amazing and started to become a theme for the rest of my time on the JMT. And it was great. I had a great time actually got to camp next to people. So the next day, yeah, Josh. So it was Glenn and Forrester in one day. And yeah, it was a pretty, you know, but at that time I was getting used to the altitude and stuff. And so I was, I was feeling it. I was feeling pretty good. Okay. So the next day was Pincho Pass. What's up, Hannah? The next, next day was Pincho Pass. So Pincho Pass. Now, as, as I, as I woke up, I was starting to get kind of a sore ankle. I had been trail running a lot to end up training for this. And I had rolled my ankle on a sidewalk before doing before, before starting this hike. And so my ankle was starting to get a little janky again. And I remember that as I, as I'm going up Pincho pass. And so I ended up meeting these two guys and we kind of start going up Pincho. And again, it starts raining. There's clouds again. I wanted to hurry up and summit this before we ended up getting stormed on again. And one of the things I started to learn was don't put on your rain gear until you actually need it because of the fact you waste a lot of time doing all that kind of stuff and throwing your stuff on, throwing it, whatever. And so they started doing that and I kept going because I was starting to get used to the theme of if it's not directly overhead and it's just sprinkling, you're going to dry out because it's so, it's so warm out there. So I ended up going up to the top of Pincho Pass and coming the opposite way of Pincho Pass was this lady. Again, Pincho, everything on the John Muir Trail is extremely remote. There's not a lot of feeder trails. There is absolutely no roads. You will, I didn't see a road till day 13, the end of the, uh, of the John Muir Trail in Tuolumne. That's literally, I mean, I didn't have signal either. No signal until the last, till day 12. Middle of nowhere. So in the middle of nowhere, this lady walks up the, the opposite side. And I'm like, dude, you are old. <laughs> like, I start talking with her and she's 90 years old, carrying all her stuff on her back, isn't concerned about the weather, just an absolute savage. And I just was absolutely inspired by that. I mean, I and I needed that, you know, just complaining about my situation about the last few days. It was absolutely incredible. And so Again, if you watch the documentary that I put together on YouTube, you will see what she looks like. I have a quick pan of her. It's it's it was just insane. So I get down to Pincho Pass. I ended up camping at Kings River. I actually met the uh, family that I rode the bus in with. I caught up to them, which was really cool. So camp with them, and then I left early in the morning. Wrote a little message in the sand because I like to get. If you're hiking with me, if you're through hiking with me, I, I don't like leaving late. I leave early, and I hike late and. People are always like, how are you able to do so many miles during the day? Well, you have to get up early. That is the number one thing. I mean, if you're not getting up early, if you're starting your hikes at 9 a.m., it's already hot by 9. As soon as that sun crests the ridge, especially on the JMT, it's already hot. It's already hot. So you have to get used to the fact that you you need to be on some type of routine if you want to crush miles, if that's the way you want to do it. That's the way I like to do it. I like to hike all day. 
and basically not really stop at all. So that's my style. It might not be your style, but if you're trying to crush miles, that is a way to do it. Quick break here. If you're loving the podcast, please do me a favor and subscribe to my free newsletter in the show notes below called First Light. This is a monthly email where I will send exclusive tips and insights into backpacking, trail running, and mountaineering. And these are things that I don't share anywhere else. I also share other inspiring content that I've found on the interweb that will help you get stoked for your next upcoming adventures. Thank you so much, and let's get back to the show. The next pass was Mather Pass. So Mather Pass, this is a this is a very treacherous pass in the winter for people because it's, I guess, it's very high angle. So if you're on the PCT doing this, it can be pretty dangerous. For me, it was absolutely easy. There was no snow. So I get up to the top of it, and on the opposite side, me going down, but for people going southbound, going up, it's called the Golden Staircase is what it's called. Essentially what it is is just like it sounds. It's it's a staircase of rocks and just so much rocks that they're just high-stepping, and I felt extremely, extremely bad for the people that had to go and do that um, coming the opposite way because going down was actually hard enough. Let me take a quick break. We'll answer some questions here. So we have Hannah Grayson, which is what part of Oregon are you from? So right now I am in the Valley, specifically McMinnville. We're trying to get out, which you'll see in another YouTube video that I have coming out probably in a couple of weeks, what our plan was and what was going to happen with that. Another question here for, uh, or another comment, actually, Chef Wax. I like that, man. Watch your CT videos twice. Loves my videos. I really appreciate that. I will actually be doing a CT breakdown in the future as well. So if anybody's interested in tuning in for that live, that would be absolutely, that would be absolutely amazing. So, but I appreciate it. I really worked hard on the CT to try and make it a actual story. Okay. So let's move on. I will come back to those questions in a little bit here. Okay. So mere pass. This is the worst. This was my. This was the worst time I had on. Uh, this was my low point. So Mir Pass is just as it sounds. It goes up to Mir Hut. It's a series of. It's a large, dis- largest. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention at the bottom of of Mather Pass, I got to the valley, and I started counting up my food. At this point, again, I'm only resupplying. I'm only resupplying one time in 14 days, which sounds crazy, and it was crazy. I would never do it again. And it all has to be in a bear canister. But at this point, I'm looking at my food and I'm getting quite low of food because <laughs> now I'm starting to make up the calories that I wasn't eating when I was altitude sick. So I'm starting to really, I mean, now I'm eating extra snacks for dinner because I'm still hungry after my my dinner and, you know, just the whole thing. And so I'm starting to get a little bit concerned and I don't have a resupply for another about three days. So I'm like, okay, I got to stretch this. I, and it's about 60 miles or so to VVR where Vermilion Valley Resort where I'm going to resupply. And I was camping in this place called Grouse, Grouse Meadows, which was actually really freaking cool because there was actually grouse in the meadow. Probably one of my favorite campsites. I actually was camping next to these pilots. And man, I BS with them all night because how wild is it? I mean, how wild is it to have a job where... 200 people's lives are in your hands and you're flying this thing through the air. I mean, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Right. So I was just picking them apart. They said that the, I told them that the, the place I hated flying out of the most or into is Denver. 
and they agreed with me. And it's because of the obviously the high elevation. Actually, they they have longer runways because of the increased altitude. It takes longer for them to actually get lift. So they're telling me all about it. But I was also asking them about plane crashes and stuff, and they said, "Look, dude, they feel pretty dang comfortable up there. It's pretty much like." riding a driving a car so that was comforting to me it should be comforting to you on your next flight okay so my next pass was mere pass so i wake up in the morning i start making my way up to mere pass and my my navigation on my phone isn't working and i'm kind of freaking out a little bit i mean i can kind of see where i am but i don't really know exactly i mean obviously you're on a trail it's pretty freaking hard to get lost but there's a lot of feeder trails that come into it. And so I'm trying to text like my girlfriend at the time, like, Hey, like, can you try to look this up? And I'm texting her off of my inReach, and you know, it's coming in. If you ever text it on an inReach, it's absolutely archaic. And so she was kind of telling me, trying to do instructions to reset my phone. It wasn't working. And so I'm like, whatever, I don't know. I'll just try to stay where I can see people, blah, blah, blah. So I go up to Mirror Pass, and it's just long, long, extremely long approach. Rocky, exposed. That's the other thing with the John Muir Trail. It's just so exposed. There's just, there's no shade. It's just sun, 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 just constant sun. And so I started eating these protein bars that I had, these builder bars. You probably have heard of builder bars before. I start eating these, these builder bars because, again, that's I don't have that much food left. <laughs> so I start eating these bars. And dude, it just takes my stomach sideways. Like I feel so shitty. I mean, I, I stopped at this lake. I was just like, oh, like I'm in the in the documentary. I'm just like, I'm dying, right? I finally get up to Mirror Pass. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy. I'm finally up here. <laughs> like this has been the best thing ever. And and so I obviously I get up to Mirror Hut. I keep going. And we're in this really cool area called Evolution valley actually evolution lakes basically all these really high elevation lakes it was so cool one of the cooler spots on the trail but i did i that was my breakdown point so it was about day five day six day something like that where i was just like oh my god like this is really hard i you know i was doing a lot of miles a day because i have a job I was trying to make it back before my job basically fired me. And so that really required me to really push my body every single day, no matter what I was feeling. And so I really didn't have a choice. Also, I didn't have a choice because I was low of food. So I'm stressing about the low of food. I miss it. I was missing my girlfriend at the time. I was this and that. All this stuff was going on. And so I was, that was my low point. I was, I was kind of breaking down. I was still walking. I was just like, dude, this sucks. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have all my food. And all of a sudden I meet people coming the next, the opposite way. And we're just kind of talking about food and they're like, Oh, we have extra food. We have a ton of extra food. I'm like, stop it. Like really? And so they end up hooking me up with these candy bars and stuff like that. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And they're like, yeah, we just met some other guy that just hooked us up with a bunch of food. You'll probably see him down the way. So I keep walking. There he is. And so I traded him some onions that I had for some, some of his food. And it was just so cool. It was like, that is the trail magic on the trail. And that is the currency on the trail. I, money is not currency on the trail. I mean, it's food is currency. And so that was awesome. And so that was a huge morale boost for me, huge morale boost. So I get into camp that night and it was a really cool place. It was next to a stream the stream was going, there were some onions around and that's one of the best places to camp. If you, if you are camping, next to a stream uh, that's always the the best time that i have 
when I to go to sleep. And so I, I set my camp up. I go to sleep. So I wake up in the next morning. Now I'm in El, El Evolution Valley, which was the coolest part of the JMT for me, I think. There was deer everywhere, big bucks everywhere. And I mean, you could get close to them. There's does running around everywhere. I mean, it was so cool. And it was green. It was, a, it was very contrasted to the gray that you're always seeing every day on the on the JMT. So I go up or I'm going down Evolution Valley. One of the significant things that you will encounter on the JMT is Evolution Creek. And Evolution Creek, typically, if it's a high snow year, is going to be like chest high on you. And thankfully for me, it was only about knee high. It was, it was a lower snow year. So I had to cross that. But I kind of made a mistake. So I wore my shoes in it. And as I was, I figured that they would dry, but they never dried. They got, a, they had a bunch of sand in them. And I actually ended up getting my first blister of the trail. So when I was taking lunch, I had to end up, I like to pop them and get some Luco tape wrapped around it. And so I did that right away, got it taken care of. So the next day I ended up going up to Selden Pass. Now, this was really interesting because I was starting now, I was starting to become more of a veteran on the trail. Cause now I'm about day six, day seven, day eight. I don't even know where it is at this point, but I'm getting now more used to the trail. And what was interesting was when I first started the trail, the people coming the opposite way, they were just finishing the trail. Whereas I was just starting the trail. And so they had all this experience that I didn't have at the time. And now I was starting to get that experience and now starting to meet people that were earlier in their trail. So it was like I was going back in time because the the closer I got to my finish, the closer I also got to the south bounders starts, if that makes sense. So I was starting to meet people that were a little bit newer on trail, which I'll get into a little bit later. But I had that kind of epiphany, which is really interesting. And so Selden Pass was awesome. It was probably one of my favorite passes. It was absolutely beautiful. There was lakes everywhere. You get up to the pass, there's just lakes dotted everywhere, contrasting with the gray rocks and granite. It was so cool. So I get down there. I take a lake dip, which, by the way, that was another thing that I that I discovered on this trail was I had to make sure that I was getting little wins that I called them every day. And so my little wins would be lake jumps. That was something that I always look forward to every single day because it just was a good cold shock. It felt good. You feel revived, revitalized afterwards. And those are my little wins. So every morning when I would wake up, I'd always be like, okay, what is something I'm looking forward to later on today? It'd always be a lake jump or like this or that or whatever. And I found that very important to maintain your mentality when you are on something this long, because if you're not looking for those little W's, the losses, the things that suck can really compound. So I wake up at, I, I camped near Selden Pass. I wake up in the morning, coyotes everywhere are just howling. This is at like 11,000 feet, which is so crazy to me. 11,000 feet coyotes are just howling everywhere. And I start walking and I'm walking and I hear these weird bells. It's like, ding, 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 ding. I'm like, what is that? It is so weird, man. And I just cannot see it. And I can hear it for, for, so far away. And I get up to this ridge and I actually look down in this valley. And it was so cool. It was, excuse me, it was this, it was this herd of, not herd, but this group of horses with people that were just camping. And so their horses had bells on them. 
and it looked like something from the 1800s. I mean, it seriously did. I mean, it was such a cool scene unfolding in front of me, just these horses around in this open valley, this meadow. It was early morning. It was so cool. So I was also, but this day I was trying to book it. I couldn't really pay attention because I was trying to get to the ferry to Vermilion Valley Resort. Vermilion Valley Resort, if you don't remember, is where I'm trying to resupply. I sent a box there. So I sent a box, my food box, to VVR. But the best way to get to VVR is to take a ferry across the lake to the to the building, or to the campsite, whatever you want to call it. But this ferry leaves at like 2 p.m. every day. So I'm booking it. I have to book it to get to this ferry. I do not want to miss this. I want food. I want my food trying to get there. So I get down, I get down to the ferry dock. It's before the time. I'm like sick. Like I'm going to be totally good. I meet now a good buddy, Sean Eines, and I'm like drying my stuff out. My, and it's super, the wind starts picking up. I mean, it's super windy. Like the, the wind is like taking my tent and like blowing it freaking down the lake or whatever. And he's saving my tent and I have my sleeping bags there. Anyway, trying to dry everything. Well, basically this storm kicks up. And of course, we're sitting on this dock pier. And so we start wrapping ourselves in our tent and stuff and our rain gear. And it's just raining. And we're like, 2 o'clock comes, the ferry isn't there. 2.30 comes, the ferry isn't there. 2.45, the ferry isn't there. We're like, there's no ferry that's going to pick us up to come get us. And so somebody had cell service and they called VBR to see if they were coming. And they were just like, well, it's storming. We don't really know. We'll get there maybe if it's done storming, blah, blah, blah. We're just sitting there like, this sucks. <laughs> we start making a fire on the beach. Like, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, they end up, the ferry ends up coming out and picks us up and which was great. And we get to VBR and the owner comes out and he is pissed. He is pissed. He says, whoever was the one that called here, you do not call this again. We will come here if we feel like it's safe and necessary. Da da da. I mean, just reamed us. And we're thinking, dude, look, I don't, whatever, man, I don't care. I just, I'm super hungry. I will give you all my money to get my food and eat at your restaurant. I don't care. Anyway, so we, that's what we end up doing. We get a bunch of food. I shower for the first time in, I think, nine days, which is great. Put some quarters in. It was like five minutes of a shower and it was, oh, it was great. One of the best showers of my life. So end up camping there at VVR. Wake up the next day. And as I'm eating, as I'm eating, I think, or I end up seeing Landlord, who's, if you remember, it was the guy that I met on like day two on, on Whitney. I hadn't seen him since because we had kind of, we're hiking different mileages. And I was like, dude, what's up? And so we eat together and then we're like, you know what? Let's catch the ferry out and let's go, let's, let's kind of finished a lot of this route together. So we're like, heck yeah. And so I was like super stoked because I had an actual buddy to go with. And I was, I was super stoked about it. So we Nero, it's, uh, we Neroed that day, which is basically not a zero, but it's near zero. So we did a few miles. We end up catching the shuttle out and we go up and we end up camping together. So let's see a question here. So do you recommend the CT as a first through hike? I, I'm a very, so Sorry, just kind of taking a little quick commercial break here. Do I recommend the CT as a first through hike? I, yeah, I mean, plenty of people do it as a first through hike for sure. I mean, yeah, you'd totally be fine with it. For me personally, I'm a, I love graduated practice. So in other words, I like to do 
hundred mile hike. I did a hundred mile section hike first. Then I did 150. Then I did the JMT. Then I did the CT. I like to progress in that fashion just because I think it feels like it gives me something to look forward to the next time. And I, I've learned all these little intricacies leading up to it that it makes, it would make, it made the CT for me a lot more enjoyable, but you definitely could do it as a first through hike. But in my opinion, I think like a great first through hike is just like a hundred miles, like on a section of the PCT or something like that. Dial in your gear, figure it out, figure out like what you like, what you don't like, get used to the mental side of it. Because looking down the barrel of 500 miles on the CT is kind of tough, but people do it all the time. People totally do it all the time. It's just a matter of, are you inspired by the environment? Are you, do you have a really strong why? And do you want to be out there? So yeah, I think it could definitely work as a, as a first through hike. Okay. So now, so I'm hiking with landlord, which was great. And I actually end up meeting, if you remember from day one, I meet that shroomer guy who showed me the onions. I actually meet him again at the top of one of these passes, like a hundred miles away. Hadn't seen him since he's randomly somehow there. I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh yeah, man. Basically what this dude does is he's like a triple crowner, which means he's hiked the AT, PCT, CDT. And he just like hikes around all over the place now. He's like, yeah, man, I'm doing this and that. And I'm like, all right, crazy dude. But anyway, he was having a great time, but it was crazy to see him again. So I end up hiking and now this is about like day 12. Maybe I skipped some days out. I'm not quite sure, but this is about day 12. And I start finally getting phone service. I mean, for the first time in 12 days, I mean, there's every time I would get to the top of, of a pass, I would hold my phone up. Oh, shit. <laughs> there's there's landlord right there. <laughs> So everybody right now, this is awesome. Uh, Landlord, otherwise known as Brian Langsfield, is in in the YouTube chat. This is so cool, man. Oh, my God. I'm glad you're here, man. Yes, I and so I am going to get to that in a second. Yep, I am definitely going to get to, get to him. And so, yes. Okay. Anyway, so we, I think, so let me, let me back up to when we meet Shroomer again. Miss you too, man. <laughs> That's so cool. So we meet Shroomer and we end up keep going. And I remember hiking with Landlord and we remember when we get to this little creek bed and we're like having a break. And that's when those horses caught up to us, which was really cool. But <laughs> Landlord, we're looking for onions. And remember, dude, Landlord finds this trophy onion. I mean, you got to watch the documentary because it is I mean, it is like the size of those trekking poles back there. I mean, it was huge. It was great. It was this trophy onion. I've never seen anything like it. Anyway, man, it's nice to see you. I'm so glad you're here. And thanks for the commented comment on edited lens. I appreciate that, man. So anyway, so we, so yeah, I'm hiking with the landlord and we meet actually a couple of these other people. One guy named Daypack, who basically he got his name Daypack because he's literally just carrying a Daypack. I mean, I mean. It was like 15 liters of of backpack. It was absolutely nuts. So he was super ultra light, and you know he he talked about it, it. That was like his whole thing. I mean, he was he was just super ultra light, which was good. I mean, he was he was hauling ass with it, and but it was really interesting. And he his, one of his goals was to set the FKT on the PCT in 2021. I mean, obviously he didn't do that because otherwise I would have heard about it, but. Yeah, so so we hiked with him and another guy for a bit, and we end up hiking. That was probably the latest I actually hiked in the entire trail. Uh, 
landlord and I just started, we got basically into the night and we started getting service again on our phones. Again, it was the first time I got service. And I remember texting my girlfriend at the time. I was like, Oh, like oh, I got service, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, Oh, cool. Wasn't really like that. <laughs> Wasn't really that pumped. I was like, Oh, okay. I mean, you just haven't heard from me for like 12 days. <laughs> anyway, landlord and I get to this, <laughs> get to this campsite in the dark and the theme, and I don't recommend this. I'm not signing off on this, but the theme we kind of coined it was the bear can roll. So essentially you have this bear can, right? And we basically we're so tired. You're just so exhausted. And we start eating out of this bear can, blah, 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 whatever. And we end up putting the lid back on it. Of course, you're supposed to like take your bear can and place it like a hundred feet or a hundred yards downwind or blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to lie. We just rolled the bear can out of our tent and wherever it landed, it freaking landed. Hopefully we tried to get it down a little bit of a hill and stuff, but I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying it was really funny because we were super exhausted that night. <laughs> anyway, so we wake up and I had met these two gals on trail earlier and they had, I got an inbound text from them and they said, Hey, we're at Red's Meadow. Um, come meet us there. And so landlord and I, well, actually, no, I just went, actually ended up going to Red's Meadow, Got it, but landlord actually had to keep going on the PCT. So unfortunately, that was kind of where our our day stopped. So we ended up, so I ended up going to Red's Meadow. I got a burrito for $18, which was freaking sucked, dude. I mean, 18 bucks, but at that point, I mean, it, inflation now is probably at 25 bucks. Whatever, dude. So I meet... So me and Daypack go there and we meet up with these girls and then this other guy and his brother. And I don't spend too much time there. I keep going because um, I wanted to make it to Thousand Island Lake because that's where everybody was going to camp that night. So during that time, I, I had service again. I ended up buying my flight out because you never I don't like buying flights now because ahead of time because you never know what's going to happen. So I buy it on the trail or whatever. And so I end up buying a flight out and we keep going and past Garnett Lake, which was, I think was the coolest lake of the JMT. We end up passing. Oh, I end up passing Garnett Lake and I ended up meeting up with those girls and the two guys again at thousand Island Lake. And so we ended up camping at thousand Island Lake and it was the coldest camp of the, of the trail for me. Cause you're right on the lake basically. And it was super cold. And so landlord, you're going to have to let me know if you, you heard about this. So wake up the next morning and me and actually day pack just ended up going, uh, leaving early. Everybody else kind of slept in again. I just, I, my MO is to, to wake up early and start going. And so we ended up waking up early and I don't even know what happened to day pack. I kind of ended up losing him, whatever, but I end up doing the last significant pass of the trip, which was Donahue pass. And now I'm headed into Tuolumne Meadows. And this is where I passed the first road in 13 days, which was crazy to me again. I mean, it just, it was so weird. And so I, and I passed this road and I'm starting to meet again, these hikers that are just starting the JMT and I am just finishing it. So I am kind of like the veteran now at this point, and they're kind of just starting and there was some people really struggling. I mean, they were, I was talking to this group and they're like, yeah, we like cried the first two days and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, holy crap. Like, 
And so all these people were going through that same mental barrier that I had been going through 12, 13 days earlier. So it was really interesting to see. And as a veteran of it going the opposite way, you could then give them some good advice on it. So that's something that I would encourage people to do. But so I'm, I'm, my goal for this day was to get to Tuolumne Meadows backpacking camp and I get up there and dude, it's well, first of all, I didn't know this. So I, I, I'm by there and, and I end up meeting these older guys and we start talking, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to the Tuolumne backpackers camp. They're like, oh, hopefully you can find a spot, man. Like, cause there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of room here. I was like, oh, dang it. Really? They're like, yeah, we're going to go this 60 mile route, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And so we, I get to the backpackers camp and dude, it is, there's no room. I mean, there's no space. There's so many people there, which is so totally weird coming from nothing to all these people. It's basically in Disneyland, but I was lucky enough that these guys let me stay at their campsite. So if you ever have a chance to strike up a conversation with people, it can always pay off. And so they were super nice. They let me stay in their campsite with them and went to sleep. So the next day was my last day. And so I end up waking up early again. I think I had 23 miles left. So it was my last day. I end up passing what's called Soda Springs, which is so cool. It was this bubbly water coming out of the ground and that tastes like soda. It's literally like, oh, it's not, what is the word for, I don't know. It tastes like soda basically and really weird. So I keep going. It was really weird because I found like this coyote that was like running away from me. All these weird things were happening on this last day. I end up getting into basically Yosemite National Park proper where you see Half Dome and things like that. And the trail actually goes to Spent. Super weird. And now you're passing everybody in this park. And you're really realizing like, holy shit, like this is done. I'm done with this now. And I'm like back in the real world. I mean, there was a ton of people there. I mean, you're basically ending in Disney World, which which was weird because, again, in 2020, there wasn't as many people as there usually is. So I ended up finishing and which was really emotional for me because it was, again, for me, it was I had got through a lot of obstacles and things like that. And there's the sign there where people either start or end the JMT. And I took a picture there and I was just like looking at it. And I remember waiting for the other people, those two girls and the two guys to finish. And as I'm waiting there, there's people walking up and they're like looking at the sign and they're like, oh, 210 miles to Mount Whitney. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> and they're walking and, you know, they have no idea who I am that I just finished, which was really funny. End up those girls and guys ended up camping before it. And so I ended up trying to find a backpackers camp that was just off of the trail, apparently. Well, there's it was really weird because it was, again, in 2020, no buses are running. There's nobody operating buses. So people are just walking in the street and I'm trying to find this backpackers campground. And I actually walk past it because it's getting dark at this point. I'm kind of just so tired and out of it. And I like come upon this ranger and she's like shooting this bear with a beanbag thing. I was like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> like, am I, am I, am I, is this a dream or like what's going on? And, but she points me in the back of the way to the backpackers campground. So I go and it, at this point, it's like 9 30, 10 o'clock. I am so exhausted. I don't even know. I didn't even know that there was numbers on the sites or anything like that. I just literally found an open spot. I just throw my tent there. I just wait, get in there and I go to sleep. Didn't care. So I wake up the next day. I run into, or I meet the two girls and the two guys that 
ended up finishing that I had camped with at Thousand Island Lake. And what they had told me, uh, landlord, by the way, if you're still on, was they said that Daypack actually had <laughs> what they think was that Daypack had stolen food from Katie's backpack and took it with for himself, basically. Because they were basically rationalizing that they didn't a they their food was missing from when they went to bed to the morning and b he had such a small backpack that there's no way he could carry enough food to get in between resupplies and things like that so he was probably bumming food off of people and so <laughs> that's what they said which was kind of crazy I mean I was like dang man that that's kind of that's wild I mean that's again food is currency in the wilderness so to steal somebody's food like that especially. Um, yeah, so yeah, like landlord saying on YouTube, he never had food, so it's possible I gave him food a bunch of times, <laughs> yeah, so crazy. I mean, unless they just misplaced their food, I don't know. So, anyway, now I have to get back to Oregon. And if you've ever seen my JMT videos, oftentimes I will discuss that one of the most difficult parts of the JMT for me was literally the logistics getting to and from there. So I ended up having, again, my girlfriend, let's just call her, let's just call her Kelsey. That's not her name, but we'll just call her Kelsey. So I, I texted Kelsey. I said, Hey, can you, can you buy this yarts thing for me? Which is the Yamhill or the Yosemite Valley, whatever transit. So I can get to mammoth lakes. So then I can get to another transit to get to Reno airport. So then I can fly out of Reno airport. Cause that my service wasn't working or something. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. By the way, when I had finished, I texted her. I was like, Hey, like I finished. And she was like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's like, Fuck me then. Fuck me. Anyway, she buys this ticket. I end up Venmoing her for it. And I get this Venmo request out of nowhere and it's for $1. And she goes, yeah, uh, you for it was $23, not 22. So can I have a dollar? And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. I Venmo her a dollar. Thought that was kind of super weird. So I I ride this bus into Mammoth Lakes. And it's just me again. I resupply for myself just at this store. And I get to Mammoth Lakes. And she's acting super weird. And I said, <laughs> and I said, hey, like, what? I texted her. I was like, what's going on? Like, are you okay? And, and she goes, yeah, you know, we just started, uh, stopped working from home. We're going back into office and I have a migraine and blah, blah, blah. And, and you're absolutely right, Hannah. I do have bad blood <laughs> with this and you'll see why here in a second. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I totally understand. And I will talk to you in the morning. Cool. So I board this bus in the morning and I had met this guy there that I actually had saw at the top of Donahue pass that was now on the bus with me that was going southbound. And I was like, well, how the hell did you get here? And he's like, yeah, I actually ended up quitting, which was one of the many, many people that I actually met that ended up quitting the John Muir trail, which is really interesting. And he was kind of giving me these interesting excuses, whatever. And I get to the Reno airport. And so me and him actually end up, kind of hanging out for a little bit. He actually goes to the casino. He's never like gone to the casino and he goes and he plays these slots. Literally the first thing he does, he pulls down the thing, wins 150 bucks on it. I was like, you crazy dude. <laughs> of course this would happen to you. And so he was, he was all jazzed and I end up calling my girlfriend and I'm like, 
hey, like, can I ask, can I talk to you about something real quick? And it was about the fact that I, her family never liked me, basically. Family never liked me, whatever. And I said, you know, this, this completing this thing was a, a huge, huge accomplishment for me. I had added it on Facebook, the finished picture and things like that. And I had a bunch of these ex-girlfriends, moms and everything were commenting. You know, everybody was with it. But nobody from her family said anything, which I found very interesting. And I said, you know, that, you know, I'm kind of a little bit disappointed in that. That sucks. And we get into this argument, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, ends up to be where she's like, you know, I just don't think that we're I just don't think that we're right for each other. And I was like, okay, wow. Like (laughs) in the Reno airport over the phone, haven't seen you for, for, for 17 days or whatever. And she's like, yeah. And that was the end of it. I got dumped in the Reno airport. (laughs) So that was the end of my JMT journey. And so I remember waiting for my plane and I was looking out the window at all these planes going up. I thought, and I was playing this song. This is called born for greatness by Papa Roach actually. And I was just like, Oh, I am going to just be a savage the next few months. Like nothing motivates me more than something like that. And so that's what happened. And that leads me to kind of where I am now. I mean, a lot of the things that I've done between the JMT to now have been born kind of out of that, the JMT, but also that event in the airport. And so when I go on another live, I'll kind of continue the story of like what that looked like because it did get me to another significant event that happens a few months later into the year. So And then if you want to watch the documentary to see all of the visuals of this, I will leave a link down in my YouTube live and also on the podcast. That is going to do it for today. I'm going to sign off. I've been on here for an hour. I got to go do something else. I got to stand up. So thanks, everybody, for commenting. Thanks, everybody, for being on here. Landlord. Man, I miss you. You guys shoot me a text, man. Shoot me a text. Later, everybody.